Welcome back to A View from the Couch. My name is Rich. And I'm Jen. Today, you're going to want to get your box of tissues ready because we're talking about The Whale. Well, I don't know if anybody's going to cry while we're talking, but if you watch the movie, make sure you have some tissues handy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is this is a movie that came out, was it last year? I believe so because yeah. all the Oscar buzz was the last round oh, yeah, of Oscars. Was, uh, yeah, so it would have been 2022. 22, yeah. yeah. It is based on a stage play. Yes. I could tell this right off the bat. I mean, it looks like a stage play, the way that it's filmed, the way that it's shot. Mm-hmm. looks like they just shot a stage play, which, you know, works in some some cases. And it's a film directed by Darren Aronofsky. And Darren Aronofsky, to me, is that guy makes movies that I only want to see one time. Mm. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. So, what, what have you have any experience with Darren Aronofsky films? I know he made the movie, was it Life of... Pi, that one or Pi? He made a movie called Pi. It's okay. not. Uh, it's not. It's an older independent film, black and white. I've heard. Of, I heard when I was looking at stuff for that one. I'm just looking at it real quick here, and it looks like he is known for the Fountain. I've never seen that. I've never He's... seen Pi. I've never seen Requiem for a Dream. I've never seen Mother. I don't know this guy's stuff. You've seen the uh, Black Swan. Oh, he did seen, that one. Yeah, you've seen okay. the Wrestler. Nope. You haven't seen The Wrestler. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's another one that you want to watch one time. So, Pi came out in 98. He followed that up with Requiem for a Dream. Now, Pi is kind of, it's a, it's kind of a, I don't know, it's like a psychological thriller type movie mm, okay. with kind of a disturbing ending. Requiem for a Dream is a drama, like, fuck with your brain kind of a movie. Sure. Has a sad ending. The Wrestler, sad ending. I don't remember Black Swan. I didn't see Noah. I haven't seen Mother yet. So, so the only guy... one I've seen is The Black Swan, and I did not care for that. <laughs> I know a lot of people liked it. Me personally, I, it was too weird. It was too out there. Too heady. I did not care for it. By the time I was done, I'm like, that. I that is not for me. Okay. Requiem for a Dream is the one that uh, was my reference point for movies that... I don't ever want to see again, but I thought it was a fantastic film. Sure. And Requiem for I've seen it twice, so I after that second time, I was like, mm, I can't do this again. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's a tough movie to watch, but... So, The Whale, when I first saw this, I wasn't sure about it, but then it started getting all that buzz, you know? Yeah. Everybody was talking about it. And so then I started getting hyped up to watch it a little bit. Brendan Fraser's in it, and, you know, I've, I've always liked Brendan Fraser. And so I was pretty excited to see it but then as i started hearing how emotional it was and seeing a little bit more about the movie i was like okay i think i have to be in the right headspace to watch this and i haven't watched it yet because i feel like i i don't know maybe i've just never felt like i was in the right like mental space to... you mean you hadn't watched it yet right no i hadn't okay because you said haven't and i'm like you had to have watched it i had and so then this here by podcasting on it it forced me like okay there's no more putting this off you have to watch this yeah but i i do say for others if you're gonna watch it definitely have tissues handy and you know make sure you're having you're not in like a heavy emotional state of mind when you go into this because this is not going to help your situation <laughs> at all. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a tough, it's a tough film. Yeah. It really is. So you know, if, if you haven't watched it, then go ahead and watch it and then come back and listen to the yeah. podcast because you really don't want to be spoiled for this. It's, there's right. some stuff in here that lessens uh, the blow, I think, a little bit if you're not watching it firsthand. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, so why don't you uh, give us the rest of the cast and crew, and then we'll uh, jump into... I always say cast and crew, but you never say anything about the crew other than the director. So why don't you give us the rest of the cast? Yeah. (laughs) All right, so you already mentioned it was directed by Darren Aronofsky. It was written by Samuel D. Hunter. He was actually the one that wrote the play, too. I've got some interesting information on where he came up with that, which maybe we'll talk about a little bit later. Yeah, I'd like to. This stars Oscar-winning Brendan Fraser as Charlie, Sadie Sink as Ellie, Ty Simpkins as Thomas, and Hong Chow as Liz. Now, Ty Simpkins, do you recognize this kid? That's... 
I don't recognize the kid, but I recognize the name. Okay, so I feel he like he's was a Marvel character or Marvel. Something. He was in Iron Man three. He was the kid that oh the kid really? Tony Stark hung out with, and he's also in the Insidious movies. He's the he kid Insidious? in there. He's, he's one the of the kid. Ki- he's one of the kids in there. Huh. So okay. I I don't remember him from the Insidious movies. Those insidious movies I tend to watch while I'm also looking at my phone because they that stuff just freaks me out. So I have to kind of like check out a little bit while I'm watching it. So I'm kind of watching what's yeah. going on, but, you know, kind of, <laughs> oh, this is scary. I'm going to look at my phone. Um, <laughs> but once I, once I realized he was in the Iron Man 3, I was like, oh, okay, sure. I, but, yeah, his face looked familiar to me for some reason, and I just could not place it. And that's where he's from. And of course, Sadie Sink, anybody that's watched Stranger Things knows she's involved with that movie. Now, Hong Chow, sure. I don't remember. Has she been in much? Do you know? Are you familiar with her work? She was the sous chef in uh, The Menu. Oh, the one okay, that, uh, okay. Tanya Taylor-Joy had to kill. Okay. That, that, that ass-kicking fight at the, at the replica restaurant. Okay. Yeah, that's the only place I know her from, but... She was fantastic in that, and honestly, she's fantastic in this, too. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think so, too. I think she was up for supporting actress mm-hmm. for an award on this. Yeah, yeah. Looks like she was also in Watchmen. Who's she in Watchmen? Lady Trow? Lady Trio? I'm going to have to go back and, and watch that And she was series. in four episodes in The Watchmen. Yeah, I'm going to have to go back and watch that series, because I don't, I mean, I remember it, but I don't remember much about it. Okay, okay. Yeah. All right, let's talk about the movie. Okay, here we go. So the film opens with Charlie, who is a morbidly obese English teacher, I think. He's an English teacher, is that it? Or a college writing professor yeah, or something? Yeah, some kind of literature instructor yeah. of some kind. Yeah. I think it's college or a university of some type. Right, yeah. yeah. He, We open with him having a little happy time for himself. <laughs> But it's, it quickly goes from uncomfortable to uncomfortable because he starts having chest pains. And while he's struggling, he starts to read an essay about Moby Dick. And they, we, at this point, we have a, a knock at the door. Mm-hmm. And it is a young man named Thomas who is from a church called New Life. And he's coming to, he's basically door knocking. And, and Charlie asks him to read the the essay to him. Mm-hmm. And the kid's like, why did you have me read this to you? And he says, because I thought I was going to die. And I wanted that to be the last thing that I hear. Mm-hmm. And instantly, you know where this is going, I think. Like, I thought, okay, well, he's obviously going to hear this before he dies. I did not. I knew, I knew that he was going to I did this. not. I, I don't know it why. It makes sense, but yeah. that stuff... When I'm watching movies, that is not stuff that I'm typically like, oh, I'm going to watch for this to come up later. (laughs) I'm just watching the movie. (laughs) Well, I'm trying to figure out if they've crafted it well, but you know, I mean, that's... I kind of think about that sometimes afterwards, but in the, while I'm watching the movie, I try and be in the movie, in the moment and just go for the ride for the most part. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. While Thomas and Charlie are talking, Charlie's friend and his nurse, Liz, comes over and tells Thomas he has to leave. She doesn't like new life and she doesn't want them filling Charlie's head with, you know, BS or whatever. She, you know, gets Charlie back to normal, tells him, hey, you really need to go to the hospital. Mm -hmm. You know, you have congestive heart failure. You have to go to the hospital. And he says, I can't afford health insurance. I can't afford it. Mm -hmm. So that's that. This is kind of an interesting thing that happens a lot here in the United States, too, is you've got a professor, you would think that he would be provided health insurance or have the opportunity to um, participate in the group health plan through work, but he doesn't. And it's very possible he's not offered it or it's offered and it's very expensive. That's very typical here. Um, So... um, that's not surprising to me. And I think it does come into play here quite a bit too, is just the cost. Yeah. And this is kind of a common thing here is people don't go get checked out and don't go get treatments because they can't afford it. 
there's just it's just too expensive to get health treatments here so that's interesting this idea of this movie is maybe an admonishment of our current healthcare system and insurance system hadn't even thought of that i was thinking about that through this whole thing like you know if this guy had access to healthcare. Obviously, he had other issues. He had mental issues too, and that's mental something that is so that is something that is really lacking in our country is access to mental health care. And so he just did not have the access to health care. Period. That he needed to be healthier. So you know, it's definitely a guy struggling with mental health, physical health, and just not able to. Because I know we find out later he's got money, but the amount of money he has isn't enough to combat what we get charged to go to the hospital yeah. and go Especially if you don't have get, insurance. Yeah, go get care. Yeah. I just wanted to point that out real quick because I, I think it does come. It's something I thought about through the movie anyways is like too bad he didn't have access to health care. Right. Yeah. That's a really, really good point. Also, there's another movie, or another entertainment program that wouldn't have happened if the lead character had had um, health insurance or health care. Breaking Bad. Mm. Like, he yeah. wouldn't have broke bad if yeah. he had access to health care and could have just, you know, gotten his cancer treatments. Right. <laughs> but, right. But because of that, we got that great show because we don't have health care. <laughs> See, that's the trade-off, America. I'd rather have the health care. I would, too. I, there's <laughs> other great shows out there. So. Yeah. Yep. So Charlie is visited by his estranged daughter, Ellie. And we find out that he left uh, Ellie and her mom because he fell in love with one of his students named Alan, who we're going to find out is actually Liz's brother was Liz's brother. Mary, Ellie's mom, has been keeping Ellie from Charlie. And she doesn't know that Ellie is there. Mm-hmm. In fact, we don't really, do we ever get like a reason why she's there? I, didn't he reach out to her? I thought he asked her to come see him. I thought there was a one line right. dropped somewhere in right. there where he it was he wanted her there right. for some reason to stop by to see him or something. That's right. Yep. Well, he ends up offering her all the money that he has in the bank, $120,000 if she'll spend time with him. And he also says he'll help her with her schoolwork so that she can get her grades back up. Apparently, mm-hmm. she gets bullied at school or not, excuse me. She gets in trouble at school for bullying and her schoolwork is suffering. So, when Liz figures out that Ellie has been coming over. She gets after Charlie because she knows it's a bad idea, but he's not. He doesn't care. So I don't understand this part. Now, I understand why she told. I understand why she told Thomas to get the hell out of there. Right. He does. There's a huge backstory there. He doesn't need that shit. But for Ellie, I don't understand why she has a problem with Ellie being there. That's his daughter and he's trying to repair any kind of anything with her before he dies i think there's a restraining order there's a couple of lines that make me think that that's the case later on when we when mary comes Mm. to the house he says are you aren't you gonna you could call the police and have me arrested or something and she says jesus christ charlie i'm not gonna do that or something why would why would there be a restraining order She's very upset with him when he leaves. She okay, so she her her issue later. She's talking. She's talking to him about her anger with his leaving, and one of the things she's angry about. She had to explain to everyone that she that he left her for another man. Mm-hmm. So I think there's some sort of like there's not just resentment. There might be a little bit of like homophobia there or mm-hmm. something along those right. lines. And the, I mean, we're talking about Idaho as well. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a possibility that it could be that, I guess. So this is kind of an interesting story here with, I mean, Charlie at this point that we're seeing Charlie is, he seems like a kind person. Like right. he is not rude to this 
religious person in his house, even though he has no interest in this religion. It's yeah. just not where he wants to be. But he's not rude to the guy. He's kind to him. Right. And he's reaching out to his daughter, and she is a terrible person. I mean, she's a shit person. Now, I understand she's got a lot of baggage. Again, she could probably use some mental health help, too. She was devastated when her father left, and he left and was selfish and didn't reach out to her or yeah. try to reach out to her. And that, I, I can't even imagine the mental effects that that's going to have on a child. Yeah. But we, you know, Charlie was this... I mean, he did leave his family and didn't have anything to do with him. Now, I don't have a problem with the divorce and him being with another man. That's not what I have a problem with. It's the abandonment of the child. Yeah, I've, I think that's one of the things to keep in mind about this movie is that they're, all these are these are all great characters. Mm -hmm. There's all, all these people have something, something to them that doesn't make them pure good. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's very human in that way. There's mm -hmm. not like everybody has baggage, right? You know, right. So I think what that's what's really interesting here is that we don't have protagonist antagonist here other than Charlie versus himself, but we have protagonist 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 protagonist. Really, when you think about it, because every single one of the four main characters has some kind of baggage and then even mary has some kind of baggage too so your main mm -hmm. your main supporting character beyond the four the four that we know really well by the end of this they all have something mm -hmm. which i think makes this a very human story and i think it makes it very compelling because there's something that each of us can relate to in mm -hmm. all of this you know right right so thomas visits charlie again and he helps Charlie pick up the key to Alan's room. You know, Charlie had dropped the key. He was trying mm -hmm. to, he was inspired to go into Alan's room by, I can't remember how they got there, but something reminded him of yeah. Alan and he wanted to go into the room, but he had a key that was on the door, the door jam above the door mm -hmm. and it fell. And of course he being 600 pounds couldn't reach it. Mm -hmm. So he asks Thomas to get that key and... Liz shows up and she tries to get Thomas to leave. She's like, hold on. Before you leave, I need to talk to you. So she goes outside. And this is where we get the info dump that Alan was Liz's brother. So these these are two people that are dealing with the death of a loved one. Mm -hmm. The same loved one. So they're not just friends. They're kind of family too, mm -hmm. right? And th it's interesting because they're both dealing with it in different ways. Mm -hmm. You know, Charlie is overeating. He's binge eating he, and, and Liz is enabling it. Mm -hmm. Liz is, is, Liz is an enabler. Mm -hmm. I mean, she brings him these me a few meals that she knows aren't good for him. The only person that tries to feed him a meal that isn't bad for him is his daughter later. She gives yeah. him a sandwich, but it's going to be turkey and there's not going to be any cheese or mayo. Yeah. You know? It's just interesting to me that the crux here is, well, not the crux, it's just interesting to me that this shared trauma, it's, it's, it's really about shared trauma, right? When you think about it, it's, it's about Liz and Charlie's shared trauma over Alan's death, mm -hmm. uh, suicide. And we have Mary and Ellie's shared trauma with Charlie of that breakup and that family strife. So I think there's so much to this movie as far as thematically dealing with stuff like shared trauma or dealing with, you know, well, we can, we can come back to the shared trauma stuff because it will come back again. So basically Alan had committed suicide by jumping off of a bridge, but because he, he had stopped eating, he wasn't eating because of his father's abuse of him. Mm -hmm. telling him he has to go to the church and telling him that his his life is 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 sinful and him jumping off of a bridge and committing suicide after starving himself led to charlie's binge eating like that's what triggered that and it also triggered liz's hatred for new life mm -hmm. but, she wasn't a fan before but this definitely put it over right. the top where yeah. You know, if they wouldn't have been trying to convince Alan that there was something wrong with him. Yeah. 
you know, he probably wouldn't have committed suicide. Right. You know? Right. You know, and Liz, I think she just did, she didn't, she wasn't into the church at first, but I think this just solidified her, her hatred for it. You know, that, there's right. a big difference between not really caring yeah. and being actively. Yeah. She said that she stopped going or being involved in the church around the age of 12. Right. So yeah. it was very young when she was like, this is not for me. But yeah, you could tell right away when the, like the first time she yelled at Thomas to get out of there, yeah. it was like, okay, she really, really does not like this, this group. And now we know why. Yeah. Yeah. Thomas is convinced that he is brought there by God to save Charlie, basically. There's a reason for him to have been there, which I don't know. I, I wonder, I'm guessing that this is, you know, a struggle with religion for Charlie just in general, you mm-hmm. know? Like, I think when you think about it, it's kind of like we're watching this guy die slowly. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's be honest. What does he have? Five days by the time we, by the time we meet him? Yeah, it's. It's very quick. It's very quick, yeah. There's something to this idea of people reckoning with their beliefs before they die. And I think it happens for people. I think. I think it happens for people. But I think it's like an instantaneous thing here. This feels stretched out. It feels like this is his reckoning with his religious beliefs or lack thereof. You know what I mean? I think Thomas like represents that reckoning. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I think for Thomas, he's he's just so desperate to be validated in his thought process that you need to go reach out to people mm-hmm. that he sees a man dying and is like, oh, he's almost, he's going to die soon. I have to help him save his soul. Yeah. And he's going to just keep, there's something, there's a draw there for some reason. He's just drawn to Charlie. Yeah. In his desperation to help somebody, you know, you know, by the end of this, this feels like an like a like a damning of organized religion and an acceptance of like a greater power, even though you don't necessarily need organized religion for it. There's a bit of a theme to that, too, you know, yeah, where Charlie rejected that organized religion. But I mean, by the end of this, it's going to appear that he's, you know, gone to heaven. Yeah, yeah, by the end it does. Do you know what I mean? Like, is this... Is I, this I'm going to say, a... I don't know that Charlie ever... I don't think Charlie was religious. I don't think he had the faith and believed in a God. I, I never got that through the whole movie, okay. that that was his thought process. I have to be very careful how I say this, because I've just kind of come across this recently where I feel like people can have faith and people can have religion. And I feel like people who have religion are these quote unquote Christians who are trying to shove their beliefs down everybody else's throats. And then there's just people who have faith who generally believe and live by that faith. There's definitely two different groups of people. So I'm trying to be careful when I say this, because it's, it's something that has come up in conversations and there are really two different groups of people out there when it comes to religion and it's I feel like Thomas represents the what I call religious Mm -hmm. people he's trying to shove his thought processes down somebody else's throat and say you have to live how I believe you should live but I feel like Charlie didn't have faith or religion I just don't think he believed in that stuff if that makes, am I, am I like, just, yeah, I no, feel like now sense. I'm rambling here. <laughs> no, that's okay. I'm following what you're saying. You're saying that, that there is no grappling with faith for Charlie because he doesn't necessarily have faith or religion. Whereas Thomas represents religion, um, trying to affect the outcome of this man's death. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I think for me, I was thinking more along the lines of people grapple with that question, I think, as they get closer to the to the end, mm-hmm. you know? And I feel like that was what we were seeing with Charlie was this idea that, you know, he was, 
he had a Bible. He still had Alan's Bible. Alan was a believer, mm-hmm. obviously. Alan had, you know, a marked up Bible in there, in the in the room mm-hmm. that Thomas will find later. But but we see that Charlie rejects that. Mm-hmm. He gives the Bible to mm-hmm. Thomas. He's like, take this with you. He wouldn't even look at him when he hands it to him. Yeah. So I think that is roundly him rejecting religion at the end. Yeah. Which is interesting because if he still is going to heaven at the end, means you don't need religion to go to heaven if there is such a thing. That's because I feel like I feel like there's truly a God. If you live, if you live, a, you do not have to go to church to have faith. You do not have to go to church to be a good person and be kind to others and live the quote unquote path that the Christians set out that you should be living. I mean, you don't have to be in that. And so I feel like that would be true, that Mm -hmm. if there is a heaven, you don't have to go to church. You don't have to pay your tithes. You don't have to pray every day to be a faithful person and maybe go to heaven. I don't know. I feel like we're getting into some really, really deep talk here about religious that, stuff. So. Okay, but that's okay. That's what that's what a movie like this will do. This will give us something to you know focus our our discussion on. You know, mm-hmm. that's what I love about it. That's what I love about movies is we can talk about this stuff because it relates to what we're watching. You know, so after Thomas takes his leave of them, Liz gives Charlie his lunch, which is like this gigantic meatball sub, mm-hmm. and Charlie starts choking on it until Liz like helps him you know cough it up i guess and we kind of see this codependency like even though even though he almost choked to death on this she picks the sandwich up off the floor and hands it back to him yeah like it's not liz's fault this is just her coping mechanism for dealing with alan's death yeah and it's not charlie's fault it's his coping mechanism for dealing with alan's death you know it's like so, Not healthy, but it's what it is. What it is. You know? So real quick, it was hard watching Charlie go through these eating binges. Yeah, it was that was hard to watch. Yeah, um, because it was, and I even thought, boy, Brendan Fraser had to eat a lot during this movie. Yeah. I mean, because he was almost constantly eating something in all these different scenes, except for the one where he was sleeping through the whole thing. Right. You know, food was definitely present, and we saw it on screen watching watching him scarf down all this food. So. The, this movie has some serious horror movie elements, and I think that that is one of them. That that binge that he goes on right before the end mm-hmm. is where he's just stacking pieces of pizza on top of one another. Yeah, and, and then he gets down. to the fridge and puts more yeah food on top of the food, yeah. and is just, I mean, and it's not just eating. I mean, it is. You could tell that this is a disorder because yeah. he's not just eating. He is like shoving it down his throat. Yeah. He's he's having a mental break. Yeah. And this is his coping mechanism. It was terribly hard to watch. Yes, absolutely. It was nauseating and sad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I felt really, really bad for Charlie. Yeah. At this point, like really felt very, very bad for him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I guess we'll get back to that. Here. We'll get back to that. Yeah. Yeah. So Ellie keeps coming back and forth, but she isn't really receptive to Charlie trying to reconnect with her. Um, And mainly because she thinks that he should have stayed connected to her throughout her life. He tells her that he tried and that he also tried to send money to her mom, um, but he was never able to get in touch with her. He would only ever get information from the mom about how the kid was doing, not like being able to talk to Right. So he was sending money. Yeah. Um, Ellie doesn't know about this. So right. mom never tells her that, you know, yep. dad is helping support. Right. So mom is kind of part of the big reason why these two don't have a relationship. Now, he did leave. And he didn't try to communicate for a couple of years. And he didn't. Right. Like. Didn't try for a couple of years. But then it sounds like once he did try... Mom just was like, no, you yeah. stay away. Yep. So. That's her coping mechanism. Yeah. She doesn't want that. She, that embarrassment to her. Yeah. 
is so big that having him involved at all is too much for her to be able to handle. But if you care about your kid, of course, you know what? You know what? There is... I'm going to go back to what you said before with the the homophobic aspect of what she was probably doing is yeah, I suppose for some people, if this was the situation, they wouldn't want their child around a gay person for the fear of that. And we know that Maybe. that's true in this country because there's yeah. a lot of idiots out there spouting shit like this out. Yeah. I do not feel that that's, I don't agree with that at all. You can't become gay by being near a gay person. <laughs> stupid it's just people are dumb but maybe that's what was going on too i mean there's there's definitely mom is having her own trauma mm-hmm. right or wrong i don't agree with it but she yeah, she absolutely. should have let these two try and repair their relationship long before this is happening at this absolutely. point well like i was saying before these are all great characters yeah even mary is a great character mm-hmm. you might think her more of like the antagonist here, but she's not. She's just a great character. She's a human being who was injured, who was harmed, mm-hmm. who went through this trauma that nobody is dealing with. Like nobody directly deals with any of this. Mm-mm. They're just no. They all like just yeah, just shove it down mm-hmm. and ignore it like it's not there. While in the meantime, causing horrible harm yeah. <laughs> to, to yourself and others yeah. mentally and physically in some cases and. Yeah. <sighs> yeah yeah that's it there's there's there is that that trauma there yeah so one day ellie gives charlie a sandwich with crushed up ambient in it mm-hmm. to make him fall asleep and i don't know what her main reason was for this other than maybe to snoop but um she starts smoking weed and she blows some in Charlie's sleeping face. And then Thomas knocks at the door. She brings him inside and makes him smoke weed. And she tries to, she does this thing where she's trying to make him as uncomfortable as possible by saying crude stuff and, and acting just kind of nonchalant about things. Thomas eventually kind of breaks and says, look, I had a problem smoking weed habitually. But then we also find out a little bit more about Thomas. He isn't who he seems. Mm -hmm. Ellie apparently knows somebody over at New Life and she talked to them and they don't do door knocking. Mm -hmm. So he's not from New Life. So Thomas has to come clean eventually. He ends up locked in Alan's room and we get this, we get this scene where Ellie is outside of the room with her back against the door and Thomas is inside the room with his back against the door. And they're talking about what brought him to where he is. But he was, you know, he's from Des Moines or, well, Waterloo, right? Mm-hmm. Is he from Waterloo? Yeah, something like that. He's from Waterloo, Iowa. He... Not far from here. <laughs> yeah, not far from here. He was... Was he kicked out or did he leave? He he stole he money ran, and oh ran yeah, away. He stole money and he ran away. They were he was part of a door to door missionary program. No, they stopped doing door to door. He wanted to continue doing door to door. There was a disagreement, and so he ended up taking money and leaving. But not from New Life. It was from a different. No, church. it was from the one he was at back yeah, in Iowa. In water, yeah, yeah. In Waterloo. Yeah. So yeah, so he ends up running off to Idaho from Iowa. And that's kind of what brings him here. But he still feels like he needs to do the door-to-door stuff. He still feel like he needs, feels like he needs to... He's trying to prove his point, that he, yeah. you can save people by going door-to-door. Right. Also, I despise these people that come to my door and want to spout religious stuff to have me. Have we had anybody here that has done that? We, I've never answered the door, but people have left stuff in the door frame. Jeez. Because I thought it was a political person, so I didn't answer the door because we have one of those ring cameras. Right. And I was like, I don't know this person, so I'm not going to answer the door. And then when I went out and got the pamphlet they left, it was one of those, I don't remember which one it was, but Jehovah's Witness, something like that. I, I don't remember. And I'm like, oh, some cult. garbage. Some cult. <laughs> so <laughs> Ellie ends up recording the conversation that she had with Charlie, or excuse me, not with Charlie, with Thomas. Mm-hmm. 
And we don't know why she's doing it, but she's also taking pictures of yeah. everybody. Which okay. I thought was really weird. I'm like, what is she doing? I yeah. don't get this. But I watched this out. interesting I watched this interesting interview with the director and Sadie Sink was there too, and they were kind of talking about this whole scene. Mm-hmm. And they wanted it to be kind of representative of Ellie like being a predator and Thomas being prey. Because if you can, because if you watch when he's sitting at the table, the camera moves around and he's always kind of like the center of focus. And so they kind of do these long sweep shots through oh, the room and stuff. Yeah. And then she's leaning on the walker. And like when she's like badgering him with questions, she's like slowly moving forward while the, his back is turned to her oh, and stuff. Okay. So it was really kind of an interesting, something I'd never picked up when I was watching it. But, yeah. you know, as they were talking about it, it was like, okay, that's kind of an interesting thought because that's kind of what she's, I mean, she's going in for the kill at this point. She's right. trying to find his weakness. What What is his secrets? So that was kind of what they were going for when they were filming that whole scene. Interesting. I like that. I like that. I'd say I'd watch it again, but I'm not going to watch this movie again. No matter what I tell everybody about it, but I, I don't watch the movie again. So. Thomas visits Charlie one last time, and he tells him that Ellie recorded his confession and sent it to his family in Iowa. But he's not angry about it, because they weren't angry. They forgave him, and they invited him to come back home. So he says, oh, this is, this is a sign. I need to convert Charlie but this is where we get Charlie's rejection of that. Thomas starts reading out of Alan's Bible. Right. And he's reading this passage. And basically, he's trying to tell Charlie, like, if he is not gay, he can be saved. Yeah. I, I, I hate I hate this type of stuff. This is... <laughs> I, I just don't like this. Um, I, and right now, I'm just getting flustered because it's just... It just makes me so angry when... when people are treated this way like who you are is not okay yeah i I don't like that and so this whole scene too is really hard to watch because i just really despise thomas in this moment it's it's cringy that thomas it's cringy that thomas goes straight to this like he feels like this is a sign and i feel like he was doing just fine up until then Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like him he wasn't intrusive. They were just kind of chit-chatting. Right. But this is where Thomas takes a turn. I feel like this turn for Thomas puts him e- immediately at odds um, with Charlie. And this is where I think that he becomes the villain of the picture almost. Mm-hmm. There, so in literature, you've got the six different, the six conflicts, right? So you've got man versus self. And in this case, we've got Charlie versus himself, right? And in a lot of ways, we also have Ellie versus herself. We have Liz versus herself. We have man versus man, which is, again, we've got Charlie versus Thomas at the end of this. We also have Tommy, our Tommy. We also have Charlie versus Ellie. We even have Charlie versus Liz, right? Mm -hmm. Then we have man versus society, which is which is represented, I think, in a couple of ways. We have Charlie versus religion, and we have Charlie versus the outside world seeing what he actually looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have man versus nature and man versus technology. Man versus technology, obviously, Charlie struggles with the idea of letting that camera take a picture of him. You know, I think all of these six are in here. In some way, shape, or form. And I think that that's kind of fascinating. Usually you stick with one. But this is all of it wrapped into one. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, sure. <laughs> you're like, I don't have any idea what you're talking about. With that <laughs> stuff. And maybe I'm just babbling about it. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe these aren't representations of that. But that's how it came off to me. That's mm-hmm. how I interpreted it as I was watching. That this is all about like someone going through all of these character conflicts mm-hmm. before they die. Sure. Thomas and Charlie talking, he talks about his relationship with Alan and he talks about his obesity and these things are make, these they make, make Thomas uncomfortable and he admits that he finds Charlie disgusting. So Charlie tells him to leave. 
take your book with you. Mm-hmm. Well, and we find out here that Thomas is trying to quote unquote educate Charlie about the Bible. And Charlie's mm-hmm. like, I've read it twice. Yeah. I mean, he's he's not unfamiliar with yeah. what Thomas is talking about. He's right. an educated man. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So the next time Ellie is with Charlie, Liz brings Mary over to the apartment. And they kind of have it out a little bit. It comes out that Charlie was going to pay her. And Liz doesn't realize that Charlie has this money. He's been hiding it from her. She's angry at him because he could have used that money to get himself well. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't want to lose her friend. Mm-hmm. Even though she is enabling him, she still doesn't want to lose him. She just doesn't know another way. You right. Know? But so Liz is angry enough that she just storms out. Mm-hmm. We don't know if she's coming back yet or not. But Ellie tells Charlie that she doesn't care about him. She just wants him to die. This was... That that is so cruel. It's it is very cruel. And again, I'm probably gonna. I don't think Ellie should be saying this, but at the same time, I understand why she's saying this. Yeah, she is hurt. Mm-hmm. She is scared. She is frustrated, and she just is lashing out and what saying is she, 12? things. I don't. Do they establish an age for? Oh her? no! Wait, she's no, no. It, it's been eight years, and they abandoned her at eight. She's sixteen. She's sixteen. Okay. So, while I don't agree with what she's saying, I understand where this is coming from. Yeah. She's a kid who is going through a lot of shit. Yeah, and, and is not, just lashing out at everybody. Yep. And again, not processing it and not yeah. having the time not, or the ability to I was going to say it. not getting the help because mm-hmm. at 16, you don't know how to process this right. yourself. You need a parent or a, a therapist or somebody else that can help you process this. And she's basically left to her own devices. Yeah. Like she doesn't have that support structure to help her. So she's doing what she knows, which is lashing out at people. Yeah. And I think it doesn't help that Mary resents her, I think, a little bit. Yeah, Mary obviously doesn't like her kid. Yeah. Like, this was hard to hear, too. Like, right. like she's not... I'm not saying this is all Mary's fault. No. But there's a... there's Some of this is her fault. And oh, she yeah. is completely deflecting and not owning up to any of this. Like, right. like maybe she should have done something a little differently here. Right. And she's basically talking about what a terrible person her kid is. Yeah. And what a terrible person Charlie was. I can't imagine this. I just can't imagine this. Yeah. I think she tends to blame other people for her, her issues, I think. Yeah. Which doesn't make her a bad person. It just makes her a human being that doesn't have the ability to process what happened. Makes her an I mean, unlikable person. It does make her an unlikable person, absolutely. But it also talks maybe a little bit about like how we generationally ignore this problem. Mm-hmm. You know, she, her parents obviously didn't know how to help her learn how to process stuff like this, mm-hmm. and now she is also not teaching her daughter that because she doesn't know. She doesn't know how. You know. movie (laughs) (sighs) um they uh charlie and mary they debate ellie's actions of sending that that uh that audio file to waterloo to thomas's family Mm -hmm. and charlie is taking the stance that he thinks that she does care about people he thinks that ellie cares about people because he got him reunited he got thomas reunited with his family But Mary's like, oh, yeah, you think so? So she shows him a Facebook page that Ellie manages where she puts pictures of everybody that she takes pictures of on there and kind of like judges them and acts all like Mm -hmm. shitty to them on Facebook in public. And one of them is a picture of Charlie walking with his walker. And it says something like all of hell's going to catch fire when he burns or something like that. Yeah, I can't remember what it says exactly, but 
something like that. Yeah, it's something pretty gross about being fat and obviously that, you know, there's grease fire or whatever. Oh, there's going to be grease fire in hell or something. So we find out that the reason that Charlie is so adamant that his daughter's a good person is that he needs to believe that one thing, that he did one thing good with his life. Because he feels really bad for himself at this point, really bad about what he's done, what he's, you know, been through, the mistakes that he's made. He knows that he's close to death and he just wants assurance that something was good. Mm -hmm. Something that he contributed to this world mattered. Mm -hmm. That's why he's not going to give up on his daughter. After Mary leaves... Charlie goes on a binge, which is, this is where we get that horror element of mm-hmm. him just gorging on food. Mm-hmm. And it was the most uncomfortable I've been in a, in a movie in a long time. Yeah. So congratulations, Darren Aronofsky, and fucking keep doing this, but stop it. <laughs> yeah. And kudos to Brendan Fraser for going through that. Yeah. That had to be tough. Yeah, definitely. He... <sighs> He barfs up a bunch of the food that he ate. Mm-hmm. And then he sends an email to his students telling them to ignore all the writing assignments. I just want you to write something honest, he says. Mm-hmm. Send me something honest. And then we get a fade to black and when we come back, Charlie is giving a last lecture to his students. He's saying, oh, I got replaced because of what I told you. And then he goes on to read some of these entries that he asked for. He ends the lesson by saying, look, what you guys are writing, what you guys think is more important than academics. What you guys, you know, learn is more important than academics. And he says, I appreciate that you guys were honest with me, so I'm going to be honest with you. And at this point, he turns on his webcam and shows himself to the students. Mm-hmm. And we kind of get like a little bit of reactions from them. Like some of them are disgusted. Some of them are like, what? Like this is, I can't believe this is happening. Not like a, mm-hmm. not like a, oh my God, look at this fat dude. It's more of a. Like what is going why on? Why is he turning his camera on now, you know? Yeah. And then he throws his laptop against the fridge and destroys it. Mm-hmm. And Liz does come back after that. She's feeling guilty about leaving And then Ellie comes back as well. And Liz tells um, Charlie that she'll wait downstairs. And so Charlie and Ellie kind of have it out. She's angry because Charlie switched her essay, which she had asked him to rewrite this essay for her. Mm -hmm. So he switched it with her Moby Dick essay, which is the one that he was having Thomas read to him at the beginning. It was an essay that she wrote in eighth grade, and she didn't, she didn't pass. She failed with mm-hmm. this when she when he when he. I'm sure it was not the right subject. <laughs> it probably wasn't the right subject, but his point is that there that that her thoughts matter more than the assignment. Still, right? Mm-hmm. Like thinking outside of the box, thinking outside of what you're taught mm-hmm. is more important. She doesn't really get it. So she's about to storm out. And he is now kind of starting to, I think he's going into congestive heart failure at this point. Right. Mm -hmm. And he's asking her to read this poem or this, excuse me, this essay to him. I think it's that. And I think he's trying to get through to her that these words matter. Right. Your your words are important. They, they have value. Yeah, absolutely. So she, she starts to read the poem and, while she's doing that, Charlie gets up on his own without a walker and walks over to her. Earlier, she had dared him, you know, if if if, if you want me to stay so bad, get up and walk over here. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't able to do it. But now he can. And she finishes reading the essay and they get closer and he then appears to die. And when I say appears to, it looks like he's rising into a white light. Yeah, it just kind of goes white. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And the last thing we get to see are Charlie's, I'm, I'm assuming his final thoughts, but they're a memory of 
him and Ellie and Mary at the beach, which mm-hmm. he says was the last time that he went swimming. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And then cue the waterworks. Cue the damn <laughs> waterworks. Well, that is the end of the movie itself. I didn't take a single note in this. I was kind of enraptured. Okay. Interesting. The only note that I did take was this feels like a play. And this was before I knew that it was based on a play because I, I didn't do anything. I didn't do any research or anything before this mm-hmm. because I wanted to go into this fresh knowing that this was going to be an experience that I probably only have one time. You know, I know Darren Aronofsky films and I know I don't like watching them more than <laughs> once. So I'm like, if I'm going into this, I know I, it's okay. So I'm going to lay it out there. It's tough because I'm a fat dude and seeing this makes me uncomfortable because I think to myself, I'm, I, what is stopping me from getting to that point? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I worry about it. So I had that double on top of, that was, that was also on top of the whole, I know about Darren Aronofsky and I know what kind of fucking movies you make. Mm-hmm. You jerk, I love you. So, so yeah, so there were, there was some complication there So for me. But I didn't do any research going into mm-hmm. it. So I didn't know it was a play, but that was literally the only thing I wrote down. Mm-hmm. This feels like a play because it does. Yeah. Yeah. So I have some research I did. I also didn't take notes, but that's pretty common for me. I usually <laughs> don't take notes during the movie. Nothing surprising there. No, if... I have to watch a movie a second time in order before I start taking notes. The first time I try to just watch it and enjoy it and just be in the movie in the moment at the time. When you say enjoy. <laughs> well, obviously I don't enjoy every movie, but you know, I right, try right. to, I go in with, you know, Oh, I hope this is great. <laughs> yeah. So I do have some notes that I got from after how this was set up. So this was a play. Mm-hmm. And so we don't have a lot of different background locations and stuff. Oh, no, pretty there's only much, one location. No, we see a beach scene later, but oh, yeah, that's, that's a true. flashback, that's but it's pretty much in Charlie's apartment. Mm-hmm. And so they, the set designer, had put the couch in the middle of the room so that way Charlie could be on the couch and he's almost like the sun, they said. And the people will orbit around him. You got your satellites, you got your moons, whatever, you know. And so that way they could also get those uncomfortable shots where Ellie was kind of messing with him and she would stand behind him when he couldn't turn and look at him and stuff. So there was a lot of thought put into how they were setting up this scene or this location Mm -hmm. for this movie and how they were going to be able to do the camera work and how everybody was going to move around. Because obviously on a stage, you only have one flat place to work with and that's, that's what you have. So they're trying to make it into more of a movie feel, but yet still be true to what the story is. Mm. The prosthetic that Brendan Fraser had to wear was 330 pounds. Jesus. So he had this heavy, heavy suit on and it was really hot. And so they had to put these cooling tubes inside to try and keep his body temperature lower and he also went through about eight bags of ice a day that they would put on him during different breaks and stuff to try and keep him cool wow and then at the end of the day when they would take the suit off he would experience vertigo because he'd go from having all this weight to being his normal size and then he would be off balance and feel dizzy and stuff because he just yeah I, i it makes sense to me you take all that weight off in an instant like that your body's not quite adjusted to that again i would like to go through some vertigo get it all (laughs) off right at one time when brendan fraser was nominated for the oscar he was watching the show you know they do that nomination show so he was watching that at home and when he was announced his kids brought out a fudgy the whale cake to help him (laughs) celebrate Fudgy the Whale from Carvel. Yeah, I was like, oh, I've heard of Fudgy the Whale. But (laughs) apparently Brendan Fraser hadn't because he's like, oh, where did you get a cake shaped like a whale? (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. I'm going to do one alternate casting and then I want to talk about where the writer came up with us. Okay. And I want to talk about this alternate casting. It's the only one I could find, but I was like, I am so glad they didn't go with this. Okay. But for Charlie, they were looking at James Corden. I don't think Who the that fuck would. Who is James Corden? 
he's the late night show guy that does that carpool karaoke oh, stuff. That dude? Yeah. Oh, okay. I I don't no, I'm glad they didn't go with him. I Yeah. I've seen him in a few things and he's fine for what it is, but I just don't know if he could have brought this emotion to this movie that needed to be there. Yeah. I don't think so either. I could see this turning into some sort of like awkward like SNL-esque comedy if they do that way. Yeah. Was Aronofsky still the director at the No, time? at that time it was going to be Tom Ford, which I don't know that guy. Tom Ford? I don't think I know who that is either. At least I don't know the name. Um, you said you had something about the... Yeah, so the... Samuel D. Hunter. This movie is actually loosely based on his life. He did an interview with Movie Maker, and he said that while his family wasn't evangelical, when he was growing up, he did have a rough time in school. He was a big guy, and so his parents decided to send him to a private school. And in and his hometown is in Idaho, and this is supposed to be based in his small hometown that he's from. Hmm. The only private school was a religious school. Oh, boy. He says he remembers one time during class mentioning that evolution was real, that there was scientific proof for it. And he says after that, he felt like a project, that the teachers felt like he needed to be saved. So <laughs> he, he would get pulled aside and stuff. Oh, so at one moment, the head pastor pulled him aside, gave him a pamphlet that talked about letting Christ into your heart and... Something along the lines of, you know, if you leave, lead the right path, you will hear Christ talk to you. And he's like, well, I'm Christian. So, yeah, I should do this. <sighs> and he said, I kept thinking, why can't I hear Jesus? Like, it's not happening. What am I doing wrong? But he he, he continued to try, you know, mm -hmm. in the Christian way. At one point... So he was trying. He did know he was gay. So at very young, he did the whole trying to pray not to be gay. He tried not thinking about boys. He prayed to God to change him. It wasn't working as so as hard as he tried. And he said, I really tried. At a certain point, I was just like, why is this not working for me? Why am I not changing? What does this mean? He ended up going back to public school. One of his friends outed him. He confided in a friend that he was gay. That person outed him. He went back to public school. He went on to college. He was still struggling mentally. And he fell into a depression and started medicating with food. So you can see this is kind of very similar to the food aspect on here, that that was his out. But... For Samuel, he was able to find a support system, get therapy. He met his husband. So he's he's in a better place now. But he came up with the story because what if somebody was in a similar situation to him and they didn't find that off ramp? Hmm. So and, it is about untreated. Yeah. And so, so that's where he got the story is basically taking his life story mm -hmm. but taking it further in like the why format you know i went this way but what if this person went that way right removing that that safety net that he had mm -hmm. right interesting well it comes through that's for sure yeah, it's a very personal story and you can tell that yeah, in this absolutely. movie yeah i found some interesting things in just a like kind of a quick little research before i uh, before we recorded here, but it was basically um, a lot of people have accused this of being like fat phobic and saying that they're using like Charlie's gigantic size as like a like a freak show kind of a thing, kind of making him into the monster of the week kind of a. I didn't get that. I didn't get that either. But I and that's why I wanted to. That's why I wanted to point that out. I think is that I think a lot of people maybe are misinterpreting the fatness of the character that that's supposed to be his tremendous guilt right don't you think yeah th that's how i read it as and that's how they play it too like yeah. when somebody sees him and you could tell this person is disgusted by the way that he looks yeah that's when he goes on that massive eating binge right and he binge eats when other things are upsetting to him that right. is his coping mechanism right. is eating right 
Right. So not, I, I feel like it wasn't so much a curiosity as it was an intentional, like part of the character, like mm-hmm. a very intent part of the character, you mm-hmm. know, like they specifically did that. So because do... there, there's a, there's a way to make it outwardly obvious how much he's carrying in his life. Right. I know? wonder if these same people think the same thing when it's portrayed on screen, the eating disorder, the other way where you're, um, anorexic and bulimic and stuff like that i don't know because it's the same thing it's just the opposite type that is an interesting i I can't think of many movies that deal with it like this like maybe what's eating gilbert grape has a little bit of this Mm. that's another good movie that i probably don't ever want to watch again but um i can't think of a lot of movies that deal with it in this manner they deal with Mm -hmm. it in the opposite manner right yeah so maybe the real fat phobics are the audience yeah, I don't know. That's that's interesting that people think. I'm not surprised, though, because it seems like a lot of times movies are under, like, these hyper microscopes now. And, like, every little thing, and I think a lot of it is social media, is... Or podcasts. Is that people say something, but I feel like some people yeah. will say stuff and they've never even seen the movie. Yeah. Like they'll jump on that bandwagon of, oh, I'm not watching this because they're just doing this. And this link right here or this comment right here tells me that. Yeah. But they've never necessarily watched it themselves. So I guess take that with a grain of salt. Who's saying it? Have they really seen it or not? I guess is the whole thing. So I'm assuming they have seen it. Oh, okay. It's other critics saying it. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I've, I've just, I've seen a lot of that. And I just thought that, but, but you're absolutely right that movies are under a microscope mm-hmm. honey on podcasts well that's what we're doing i i get that like but that. i'm saying in general <laughs> no, I, I mean I, I, I think no, I with social you. media yes you know stuff gets i mean recent the summer the barbie yeah. movie oh, oh my yeah. god that was all over and there was like every little aspect of it i was seeing picked apart for this reason or that reason or absolutely adored for this reason or that reason and i've never seen a movie quite do that yet and it, but i have seen it a little bit but that was yeah. just like way like so much out there they culture ward barbie they yeah did. they took a movie that was meant to inspire and they made it into a culture war yeah so anyways i'm just saying it it's it and maybe that's what i'm thinking of right now too is the barbie movie and maybe it's not so much with other movies but i i don't know I don't know where I'm going with this. Sorry. I don't know where you're going with it either, but <laughs> I'm interested to listen. I mean, like, this is good, you know. <laughs> I lost my train of thought halfway through there. I was, like, going around, and here we go. Train, Let's get off this like train. Like, the train <laughs> is off the rails, but the engine is still going. Yeah. Like, it maybe is going to gain traction. Woo, you're like, here we go. In a ravine, you know. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I've been there. I was there earlier the, today, so, you know. Okay, so do you have any other notes? Any other? No, I uh, think that's... Okay. That's it. Okay, let's do our thing. Let's do keep, rent, or erase, and you tell me why. All right, this one's tough because when I usually do keep, rent, or erase, I'm thinking about, do I really want to buy this movie? I'd keep it. Do I really want to just see this every once in a while? I'm going to rent it, not necessarily buy it and put it on my shelf. Or do I think this needs to go in a trash bin somewhere? This movie doesn't really fit any of those categories because it's not necessarily a keep where I'd want to buy it and put it on my shelf. It's not really a rent because it's not something I want to watch over and over again. And it is 100% not in a race. This is not a bad film. This is a wonderful film. This is a great film. I do think that everybody should watch it at some point. It's important. Family relationships, mental health. It's just got like great emotion, great storytelling great acting. This is a fantastic film. So in our parameters, I'm going to say I'd probably be in keep because that's probably where it would fall. But I don't want to watch this again. I'm in the same boat as you. I sat with this. I don't normally sit with movies. And I literally kept waking up that night because this was rolling around in my head. So it, it was very impactful. I was very upset afterwards. Both of us cried. We, yeah. I had tissues. We were passing tissues oh, back yeah. and forth. Yes. Well, not sharing them, but, you know, here's well, another yeah. tissue type of thing. <laughs> yeah, um, I was wiping my face with your snot. <laughs> it's definitely a keep. I highly recommend people to watch this. 
I don't know that I can watch it again yeah. because it just, I'm not always in that spot where I'm such in a good spot. I'm not stressed. I'm not <laughs> tired. I'm just perfectly emotionally stable at that moment right. to watch a devastatingly emotional movie to take me down a few notches, you know? <laughs> so, Knock you down. <laughs> okay, so this is a keep for me. It's wonderful. Please watch it. I hope you didn't listen to this and not watch it first. Um, but yeah, it's definitely more pa- impactful <laughs> the way that they presented it than the way that we presented it. Yes. Yes. All right. Uh, how about you? Uh, for me, it is okay. So I wanted to dr- just real quick address our, our, our system of keep rent or erase. Like I was thinking about this as you were talking about this. If you think of keep as like the higher star rating, mm-hmm. rent is kind of the middle star rating. Five, three, and one. <laughs> Five, three, and one. Yeah, right? And then you can have like halves in between or whatever, but this is definitely a five-star movie, right? Yeah, yeah. This is a keep for me, not because I'm going to go back and rewatch it, because again, Darren Aronofsky, I'll never go back and rewatch your movies, you bastard. <laughs> you brilliant, brilliant bastard. Keep making them, though, because you always get a ticket for me. You always get me to go and see one of your movies. So, but... Yes, it's a keep. It is a, like you said, a devastatingly difficult watch. But an important one. It deals with things that we don't deal with enough in this country, mental health. It deals with things that people sometimes let lie, family issues. You know, it, it's... Grief. Grief. My yeah. God, what is with grief movies lately? This is the... A20, we watch a lot of A24 movies lately, <laughs> true, and A24, true. I swear to God, the guy that decides movies, oh, it's grief, bring it here. We'll yeah, take we'll it. it. Oh, yeah, yeah, we'll do what? it. Definitely. Yeah, we're going <laughs> to bring that over here. We're going to do what? We're going to sew a dude into a bear costume and set him on fire? Yeah, bring it over here. Yeah, it's <laughs> a great idea. <laughs> yeah, so definitely a keep for me. I hope, I really hope, Schedule Keeper, that you've got something good for us that's going to lift us out of our seats and make us want to clap and be happy after this. What's next? <laughs> well, I don't I don't know. I suppose it could, maybe. Where but we're doing a Be Kind Rewind War of the Worlds. Oh, okay, well. Eh, maybe. Not, eh, well, eh. Eh. <laughs> Shit. Okay. Well, I mean, it's not so. It's not like devastating. No, it's not. But it's not like happy, cheer you up, clap your hands. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go watch like Gumball or something. It's like it's not like it's not like I don't know, Happy Gilmore, something (laughs) like that. Billy Madison or Happy Gilmore. I don't know. Just something crazy, stupid that you don't have to think about, and you can just laugh at the absolute absurdity that's on the screen. You know, Gumball. Yeah. 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 All right, fair enough. Well, next week, right here on the couch, we have War of the Worlds. Thanks for listening, everyone. You've been listening to A View from the Couch, a Space Moose Media podcast. You can interact with our hosts on Twitter by going to twitter.com forward slash view underscore couch. You can also email us at aviewfromthecouch at yahoo.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please help us get noticed by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Thanks for listening.